Father, we uh, have so many things to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the next breath that's now coming through our nose. Thank you that things are working in our body to make all the processes of thinking and hearing, touching and feeling, tasting possible. By your grace, Lord, we'll eat today. We pray for those around the world, Lord, who will not eat. We love them. We know, Lord, that you are glorifying yourself by by feeding them on Christ and not the food of this earth. We hurt for their empty stomachs. We long, Lord, for the mission of this church to, to be a part of digging water wells and feeding orphans. Lord, in securing medical care. Lord, it means the world to us that while we sit here, prayers by the hundreds might be going up for those who are without the hope of the gospel, without the hearing of the gospel. But we thank you, Lord, with all of our hearts that you have, you have called and chosen that for us this day we would have the opportunity to sing with this gorgeous music and now to be taught and instructed by truth that we can see and hear the Scripture, the eternal Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that from my little, tiny, feeble mind, you've given me a message. You've given me partial understanding of complex spiritual realities and that they have moved my heart from my own sin and from my own complacency, and you've caused me, and I hope as I speak you will cause others to see and savor Jesus Christ more. I pray the result of today's message, Lord, would be the encouragement of those who are paralyzed by guilt and those who are shackled by fear. And just break these chains and set them free so they can do the work and be the person, the woman, the man, the teenager, the child you've called them to be. To do the work you purposed for them to do before creation started. We confess our sins of this week. We can do nothing but lay them at the cross of Christ and Believe that Golgotha's pain and suffering and the blood of the veins of the Son of God oozed from Jerusalem all the way to Spartanburg, across the oceans, across history, into this gem and are available for all those who believe. We confess that we believe. We believe Christ has died and risen from the dead we beg you, Lord, help someone else believe the gospel today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The hands of Zerubbabel, Zechariah 4.9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. There are a number of reasons I love teaching from Zechariah chapter 4, but among my favorite is this is the second sermon I ever preached at Hope Point Church, July 20th of 2003, when you all were very few in number, and 
Our vision of the future was, was so small compared to what it is now. And we sought at that time, as we sought to establish a new city in this church, I thought there was no better way to encourage leaders who were apprehensive about taking baby steps forward than to remind them of one of the great building projects of antiquity, that is the rebuilding of Jerusalem, to a group of people who were far more intimidated than the 60 or 70, those of us who started this church 15 years ago. During our 10 weeks of vision casting, we had met in a funeral home on Highway chapter on, on, on Highway 9 uh, that had been converted to a, uh, a church, but we were a west side plant, so we needed to find a location here, and out of the blue, God provided Oak Brook School. He answered our need for a building, and I don't know what sold them on the idea that to let us rent this gym and classrooms for $150 a month. That was our starting price. <laughs> I think it must have been the fact that we told them we'll probably be here just for about a year, maybe two. But I love the fact that 15 years later, 15 years later, I'm back by God's calendaring of my preaching schedule on the very week that we close on the property that is going to be our permanent location on the Asheville Highway, my preaching schedule has me back in Zechariah chapter 4 and the rebuilding of God's temple. How does he do that? Oh, I, I wouldn't ask you to believe in the gospel for just coincidences and providences like that alone but it sure helps your faith once you get started in the Christian journey. So we're going to be in chapter 4, the rebuilding of, or, or the, really the building of a temple, the building of a construction project today, uh, and that has to do with a man named Zerubbabel. Uh, that's just Alex signing, the, <laughs> Alex signing the papers today. I was not about to put my name down on a $4 million loan at all. Alex seemed to be very happy about that. Um, so chapter 4 is the story of, of, of one of the leaders of the construction project, more of the political guy, a governor named Zerubbabel. And the last time we were together, we were looking at the spiritual leader of this group who was involved in, in coming back to Jerusalem, and his name was Joshua, and he was a priest. And I think I just want to recap because the chapters really needed to be we just gave out of time, but they needed to be preached together because both men faced massive intimidation. Both men faced um, uh, statements from the enemy that made them feel very weak. In Joshua chapter 3, he and the other priest had lived such filthy lives that there was a spiritual entity, a being, called the accuser that came in chapter 3 and told Joshua, you are unfit to come to church. You're unfit to be a spiritual leader. You're too tainted. You're too guilty. You can't lead. And that accuser later, we find out in the book of Revelation, is called Satan. Now, then over in chapter 4, we have another intimidating message. This guy is not dealing with guilt. He's dealing with a sense of weakness and inadequacy, and he's overwhelmed by the task. 
And he's the governor, and he also feels a message. He can't do the project, not because of guilt, but simply because of a sense of powerlessness. So in Joshua, and, and so in chapter 3, we have a man who felt worthless, and in chapter 4, we have a man who felt powerless. Am I talking to anybody today who might feel somewhere in between those two bookends? And, uh, and the accuser, you need to understand that I believe the Bible uh, with all my heart, and I believe the accuser stops the majority of people from living out the life that God intends for them to live, either because one of these uh, false statements. Either you're, you have experienced such uh, many flaws in life, he tells you you're worthless, or you've spent all of your life listening to him mock your level of confidence, and he tells you that you are powerless. And either whether you feel worthless or powerless, many people leave the race that God has designed for them because they feel, I'm too worthless or I'm too powerless. Now, sometimes the book of the Bible is simply easier to understand if you do a little um, background, uh, a little bit of biblical background. And if you see me juggling my ear, it's because last week Ronnie preached and it's a scientific fact that the ears of the people from the Dominican Republic are different than people from Spartanburg, South Carolina. So his ears have reshaped the mic, so I'll be doing that just a little bit. So I want to give you a little bit of biblical background because I don't think you'll really grasp what Zechariah chapter 4 is about. But the book opens with Zechariah saying, this all takes place during the time of Darius, that would mean nothing to you except it's important for you to understand that took place in around 520 B.C. All right, so here are the dates. You're, you don't get tested in heaven for this. But these will help you understand the book. 586 B.C., God's people are destroyed by the people of Babylon. And they go into exile here for about 50 years, total time for 70 years because some went before 586. 586, the city is wiped out. 538 B.C., Persia, a new world power, conquers Babylon and sets these Jews free. They get to go home. So in, 530, so in 538 B.C., the Jews go home. They've been there 50 years. Now, if you turn, do a little extra work, other parts of the Bible, other historical parts of the Bible, in Ezra chapter 3, it says that as soon as they got back, they begin rebuilding the temple walls, the foundation, and the construction had begun. In Ezra chapter 4, we're told that the surrounding nations begin to complain, and they wrote a letter back to the Persian king. This would be the second Persian king. The first one was dead. Cyrus was dead. He was replaced by Artaxerxes. We're not yet at Darius, where our book is written. Artaxerxes heard that the Jews were rebuilding. The letter said the Jews are troublemakers. So, the, so, so without doing any fact-checking, the second Persian king ordered them to stop, and they stopped building God's project for 
15 years. No work was done at all. You can read that in Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 5, we're encouraged. God sends Haggai and Zechariah. We looked at him in our previous study of the Iron Prophets. So he sends two prophets to tell them, you guys, I don't care what that king says, you guys need to obey God and start building this temple again in this city to the glory of God. But they knew how to write letters too. So they wrote a letter to the third Persian king, Darius, and said, if you would do some fact-checking, you see we have permission to build this thing. And just for the fun of it, I want you to listen to his response. It's a great letter. Ezra 6, 11. This is the, 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 the Persian king's response. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone changes this law of letting them rebuild, a beam is to be pulled from that man's house, and he's to be lifted up and impaled on it. Ah, very clear. And for this crime, his house is to be made a pile of rubble. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this law or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. So God used Zechariah's letter uh, or Zerubbabel's letter to, re to begin the work. So you would think everything's going well, but now the work is, you know, they have the official letter of the king, you can begin, but they are now experiencing a new type of discouragement, and the, now the temple doesn't look so good, and this is the reason for the fifth vision of the book of Zechariah. So God spoke to Zechariah through eight visions. This is vision number five. And it's again to encourage this leader named Zerubbabel, lead these people. This thing's going to happen. It's in chapter four, but it's the fifth vision. Verse 1, then the angel who talked with me returned and, and wakened me. So the preacher had fallen asleep while he's writing Sunday morning sermon. As the man is wakened from his sleep, he asked me, what do you see? He's talking to him about the vision. Actually, he was asleep because the visions were so exhausting. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right on the bowl and the other on its left. So, Zech so Zerubbabel, so Zechariah knew what a lampstand looked like. This is the lampstand that you would find, you would have found for years in the tabernacle. This is the lampstand that represented that Israel was to be the light of the world. If you ever went in the tabernacle, the tent of God in the Old Testament, it was completely dark except for the lampstand. It always represented one and only one thing, the light of God that Israel was supposed to be for a dark world. That was obvious to Zechariah. This little lampstand had a specific bowl on the top that was a new feature. And one other new feature to this lampstand that was different than the tabernacle lampstand, it had two olive trees on either side that was feeding the bowl, 
putting oil in the bowl, and that bowl was filling all seven uh, channels of lamps. And this is the part of the vision that Zechariah didn't understand. How can these olive trees be pouring oil into this lampstand? And so he asked, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 12, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, that's why I ask. <clears throat> these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now, if you had to guess right now, who are these two anointed people who are serving God right now, who would you say? I would say, my guess right now, the two anointed people that are serving God's people, the returned exiles in Jerusalem, the two anointed people would be Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And that would be a good answer. But there is a larger answer. And this is what confused Zechariah because oil, oil was coming out of these trees. Therefore, oil was coming out of these men and filling the light in the temple. Hear me again. This is why he was confused. Oil in the scripture always and only represented the power of the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit flow out of men? It cannot. It only flows from God. So that's why Zechariah was confused. How can the oil of the Holy Spirit be coming from such weak men like a governor and a priest? And Zechariah doesn't get his question answered in this part of the, the book. It's not answered. We find out later in the book of Zechariah that these two men, the, this, 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 and I, I hate to confuse you, but, the, but these two leaders here are later in the book combined as one. Priest and king are combined in one man who is called the branch, called the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's so important, finally, when the Messiah came and priest and king were combined in one man, not two. He was the first person ever that was able to give the Holy Spirit. So when you read Zechariah chapter 4 and you see why did God not answer, how can two men give the Holy Spirit and empower the candle that lights the world. It's not two men, but it's a foretaste of Jesus Christ who would be our king and our priest, and through the Messiah, the Savior, the Holy Spirit would be given to the world. And this is the fun part of Zechariah chapter 4, and from here on out, I would say it's easy listening. Sort of complex up till now. Zechariah chapter 4, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now remember, he's trying to encourage this scared man. You can lead this construction project in this city. 
You think we need these words of encouragement at all at this time? And here's how it's done. This is going to happen not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So let's look at what that means. Not by might. What God calls us to do is not going to occur because we are people of many resources. Um, all of these verses to the right in 1 Kings are talking about all of the resources that King Solomon had access to when he built his $80 million temple. And this is, if you read those verses, you'll find out he had 3,300 3, supervisors. That's a big church staff. 70,000 people that carried stone and 80,000 people who cut stone. So those were the resources that Solomon had. Zechariah, Zerubbabel, and Joshua didn't have anything near this. And Solomon also gold-plated the entire temple when he was done. Again, in today's market prices, around 80 million dollars. Next, it will not be done by power. Not by might, nor by power. This is, this is not going to be done by, the, the kingdom of God is not moved by willpower. It's not moved by sheer determination. It's not moved by somebody's personal ability. Judges chapter 16 verse 30 mentions five times Samson, the strongest man in the world. It's the same word, how much personal, physical power he had. And, and let me ask you, how effective was Samson in knowing and serving God? Not very effective. Had all the power in the world and lived for the flesh. And so it's not by personal ability, not by human um, willpower, not by human strength. Look at people in business world today who are very gifted, have a lot of resources. Look at people in the athletic world today, very, very gifted, have a lot of resources, but look at the influence they make for Jesus Christ. Not much. The kingdom of God is not normally moved by people who have a lot of sheer, only sheer human power. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, um, which is really the, the father of the modern missionary movement, he said, when God sought me out and sent me to China, he must have said, this man is weak enough, he will do. And he said, that's why God sent him to, to, to China. Uh, earlier this week, I had such a, um, a, a fun time. I went to a prayer meeting for Jumpstart Ministries. I don't know if you, you some of you are so new around here, you don't know what Jumpstart is. But um, it's, a, um, it's a rehabilitation ministry, one of the most exciting uh, rehabilitation ministry for ex-offenders. 
that uh, exist right now, I think anywhere in, in, in the United States. And so there was a prayer meeting for 26 acres of land that they would like to buy and on that land build apartments so that when ex-offenders are released, they'll have a place to live and not return to their old playground because as you and I know, no hope, no hope if you send a man back to where he came from. No matter how much Jesus he has, you send him back to the place of temptation, he needs a new start. So this was our little prayer meeting for 26 acres. And and I was there, I was just thinking, not by might, not by power, not by might, not by power. This is what they're praying for right here. 26 acres, and on this 26 acres is going to be what's called Restoration Village. Now, what I love about God, not by might, not by power, is recently, I don't know if you read this, this is the August 4th. I don't know how many of you read World Magazine. Everybody in this church needs to read World Magazine. Throw every other magazine you have away because it probably has a liberal bias World Magazine, it's the same news that you would read in every other thing, except it tells the truth and often encourages you by letting you know what God's doing in the midst of secular uh, world. And so this is unbelievable. This is little jumpstart ministry that started out of this church, uh, Chuck Fields, Don Williams, um, and uh, Bob Caldwell, Todd Nethery, and some others, many others, and I shouldn't have started naming people. I think Phyllis was part of that, and uh, Tommy and others. Stop. Stop. Tim. Read the August 4th, 2018 edition of World Magazine, Jumpstart is featured, not by might, nor by power. Um, I think this picture here, see if I get, this is Steve Wyman. All right, so this is great. This is a quote from him. This is Steve Wyman. Uh, he's a seven-year, he's an ex-offender. He He says, God definitely has a sense of humor. He's a former South Carolina inmate and now a seven-year employee at Sun Surveillance. It's a Christian company that's a security business. And the majority of its employees are ex-offenders. ex Jumpstart offenders, not by might, nor by power, says the Lord. And I don't know how many of you know Don Williams. You need to get to know Don Williams. Whenever he walks in the office, I'd just about drop everything uh, to, to spend some time with him. He's a major mover and shaker with, with, uh, with Jumpstart. So not by might, nor by power, but it will be built... The kingdom of God is going to be built by the Spirit of God. And I love uh, the the, the way the writer, 
the Holy Spirit used by the Spirit of God, by the breath of God. Same word that we see in Exodus 15, 8 and 10, when the, um, when, when, when the Israelites were about to be killed, two and a half million of them were about to be killed by the Egyptian army that was chasing them, and they had come to the dead end of the Red Sea. So you have the world's strongest army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, no place to go. And the Bible said that God breathed, same word, breathed on the Red Sea and it parted and became an interstate. And they passed through it by the breath of God. So everything that God wants to do in this city through us is not going to be accomplished by might, by power, but by the breath, the Spirit of God. So let's see the whole the encouraging part. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Have you ever noticed how many things were done in the life of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit? Just going to read them to you. Please don't get so caught up in note-taking that you miss the beauty of just the rhythm of this. It's recorded. This, this sermon goes out to 100 million people every Sunday. Maybe 40 people. So <clears throat> you can watch it later. These are all the references. His birth was produced by the Holy Spirit. His baptism was attended by the Holy Spirit. His temptation was supervised by the Holy Spirit. His itinerary was guided by the Holy Spirit. His ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And outside the book of Luke, we're told that Jesus died on the cross by the power of the Spirit, and he was raised by the dead, from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting that we see Jesus Christ rising early every morning to tap into the power of God's Spirit? I had a great friend this week, had no idea what I was preaching on, but sent me a wonderful quote from Dietrich. Bonhoeffer the, Bonhoeffer, the people of faith wake early because of their expectation of God's marvelous acts. Let me read that again. The people of faith wake early because of their expectation of God's marvelous acts. Sleep no longer holds them. They rush to greet the early grace of God. There are two hundred and 54 references in the New Testament to the Holy Spirit. What are we doing? We are never going to make a dent in Asheville Highway, in Spartanburg, in Jordan, in India, if we are living outside the control of the Holy Spirit every day, every early morning. Our mouth, our mind, our money, motives, our mission controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are attempting to awaken the hearts of people who are blind to the gospel of God, and that'll never happen apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Wait, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything apart from 
the Holy Spirit. Alexander McLaren, what a quote. The world's power at its mightiest is weak. And the church's true power at her feeblest is omnipotent. If only she grasps the strength which is hers and takes the spirit which is given. So you have a choice in life. You can give, your, you can give yourself to things that you can accomplish in the power of your hands. Or you can give yourself to things that can only be accomplished by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now I'd like to close today with four remarks about what the Holy Spirit uh, enjoys doing. Number one, the Holy Spirit loves to move big things. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 7. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Well, the mighty mountain that's referenced here are, is all the opposition. Uh, all the Samaritans that were uh, complaining and opposing and letter writing. And even all the internal opposition of all the people who were griping that this will never get done and we need to quit. And Zechariah told Zerubbabel that by the power of the Spirit, this mountain of opposition is going to become level ground. And I love how it says it in, let me just read it to you, what it would look like in Hebrew. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel, flat. It's just one word in Hebrew. I just, I just love it. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel, level. Just very efficient with words. Mountain, level. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes mountains and makes them level. No matter what you undertake, somebody is going to tell you that you should not have undertaken it, and it will not work. I read a quote the other day from 1878 where someone who opposed the manufacture of a car said, anyone traveling at the speed of 30 miles an hour will surely suffocate. There will be opposers, external, internal, with every true work of God. If somebody is not opposing you, you're doing nothing. I received an encouraging letter this week from Steve Douglas, the, the president of Campus Crusade for Christ. Steve and I are great friends. Not... Um, I am like many of you. I receive multiple newsletters from people I don't know. I am glad I get letters from Camps Crusade. And uh, this was marvelous. He, it, was, it was simply a newsletter to recount how the Jesus film was being used to introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ in Muslim countries, hostile Muslim countries in Africa. And I wish I could tell you all the stories. This is my favorite. Um, one particular African country, uh, basically 100% Islamic, went to a village, had tried many times, no, don't show that movie here. But an old man died. He was 111 years old, and he had five sons. And people were coming, and the custom, as we would have a, might have a custom here, uh, but not quite this long, is a 24-hour or more wake. We, we've seen those, those of you who've traveled in India, just the wake lasts a, 
a day or more. Well, it's one of your obligations as a host of the deceased is to, in this particular African village, was to provide entertainment for all the people that came. Well, the five brothers had no money. They had no resources. They couldn't provide any entertainment for all the people that were coming. So Campus Crusade came and said, would you like to show the Jesus film for entertainment? And they showed the Jesus film three times that night, and 354 people received Christ. And today in that village, there is a, uh, there's a new house church planted in, in a village where there was a mountain of opposition before. Number two, the Holy Spirit will enable us to finish our callings. Zechariah 4, verse 7, Then he will bring out the capstone. This would be the final stone. That'll be so great when we see the final thing laid on Asheville Highway next summer, won't it? Would that be just great? Then he will bring out the capstone to, to shouts of, God bless it, or God has blessed this thing. God has blessed this thing. And then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel. This is really encouraging to me as a pastor. It's got to be encouraging to people like Alex Hunt, who've you know, and been with us uh, from f- f- so early on, and uh, Josh and Amy Henderson, we closed at his law office. They've been with us from the beginning. And this has got to be encouraging from people who've been here so early. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. And his hands will also complete it. Ah, amen. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And you know what's encouraging? If you read Ezra chapter 6, verse 16, four years after they started, I sure hope we're not that far away in our construction. Uh, But four years after they started building in Jerusalem, they finished it. Just like God said right here, you started this temple and, you, and it'll be done. And four years later, uh, it, it, it was complete, just like God said. And they said they couldn't do it. Internally, externally, everybody said it can't be done. I want you to know that everything in the Old Testament was designed to encourage you to, to look at the New Testament And to see Jesus Christ in the New Testament and to be encouraged by him in the New Testament. So when you see the promise of Zechariah finishing the temple, you need to be encouraged that Jesus Christ will finish everything he started with his church. That's the purpose of all Old Testament writings is to point you to their New Testament fulfillment in Christ. Everything Jesus began, I mean, after all, Jesus Christ in John chapter 2, verse 19, called himself the temple. And he said, and he called himself the, the, the chief cornerstone or the most important stone of the temple because of his death and resurrection for sin. And Dan told us a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2 that each one of us are living stones that Jesus has personally chosen to set inside the temple of his massive eternal body. And the scripture says that what Jesus Christ has started, Jesus Christ will finish and not even the gates of hell will stand against it. That's what's really behind these words in Zechariah 
chapter 4. And you know what I love about John chapter 14, verse 12, is that Jesus said, not many people understand this, but Jesus said, the things that I've done, you will do even greater things. And do you know why he said that? Because he said, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to give the what? I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. So now millions all, all over the world right now, right now all over the world, millions of people are hearing this message through teaching, through missions, and through touching, and through medicine. All over the world, far more than Jesus could do at one time in his earthly ministry. Jesus is building up his church and he's finishing his church with greater speed than ever. The hands of Jesus Christ have laid the foundation and the hands of Jesus Christ will finish it. Let me share this one concern with you as we go across town. Most churches go through this cycle. Pioneering, building, maintaining, and declining. And I cannot tell you how easy it is to move to the latter two. And the only church that will survive and will escape maintaining and declining are churches that are committed to walking in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Every member rising early in the morning and begging to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, begging that your staff would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, begging for your elders to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, for your volunteers, praying for new money to come in praying for new guests to come in from surrounding communities, praying that new lands would be reached, new mission efforts would be blessed. I beg you to give your life in, as you never have before, praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to bless Hope Point Church, or we will go through that cycle. Third, the Holy Spirit despises our despising. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. There was a lot of despising going on in Jerusalem at this time. Do you know why? Because nobody knew how to lay bricks. All the, all the foremen... Uh, that, and all the artisans, they were dead 70 years ago. They were taken off to exile. And all the people that came back, no one knew their trade. They had spent 50 years in Babylon. The trades hadn't passed down. And so when they started watching their little feeble walls rise and their little feeble temple rise, they despised what they saw. And they said, this thing is small. And God said, it is never right to despise the things that I certainly don't despise. Do you know what it's going to take for you to last in the kingdom of God? You're going to have to learn that there are, there's another set of eyes looking at the things that you do. These people that were building this wall, they were watching and listening. Samaritans would pass by and go, ah, 
ha ha, your wall looks terrible, it's crooked, it's, it's feeble, it's small. And so they were focused on those eyes looking at their work. They forgot there are other eyes, God's eyes, looking at your work. If you focus on what man's eyes are watching you do, you will always feel like you are doing nothing. But look what God said to Zechariah. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. And I told you two weeks ago how many times we see the book of Zechariah used in the book of Revelation. Do you remember how Jesus Christ is described in Revelation chapter 5? The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Let me just close with these words. My brother and sister, your Lord, your Savior, sees your work for Him. The eyes of those who mock you are not the only eyes watching your work. The eyes of those who doubt you are not the only eyes watching your work. The eyes of those who hate you are not the only eyes of those who are watching your work. The Lord Jesus Christ is on His throne The crucified hands which started his church will complete the work and he's invited you to join the work with him, filling you with his spirit, enabling you to work with him. And he is watching and shouting with joy everything done in his name for his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've blessed in 15 years. It has been by your Spirit, not by might, not by power. I am Joshua, the filthy priest. I am Zerubbabel, the weak governor. But you have sent the Holy Spirit to rescue this church. You have sent loving people. You have sent patient people. You have sent giving people, serving people. All of it has been the supply of the Holy Spirit. And all of it has been guided by the hands of Jesus Christ. Every stone that has been laid for Christ or for God in this city has been laid by Jesus. He is the cornerstone of this church, and He is the church. He is the temple. And in Him we live and move and have our being. And for all of eternity we will live within the temple of God. We will live within Jesus Christ. He is the temple and we thank You that we are living stones. And we ask that through our witnessing and through our teaching and through our missions, our going and our praying and our giving, and through our moving across town, that you would be pleased to complete the work that you've called us to do. New people, new lives, new families, new teenagers, new children, new babies would be exposed to the gospel of Christ, would hear the cross, would believe in the power of the blood, 
would stand outside the tomb and believe that one has been raised from the dead, would believe that Jesus Christ is the combination of priest who forgives all sin and king who rules over all the world. Would you bring someone today to the priest king for the forgiveness of their sins and the inclusion into his eternal kingdom? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.